clothing on the floor. We'll clean that up later. Hasn't this been a great weekend? Well, we ain't done yet. Because he's not done yet. We appreciate so much. We've had a great time with, with Chris and his team that have been here with us this, these last few days. It's been fun. Some of them will be leaving um, this afternoon. Chris has a, a, very impo- a very important engagement with a mountain <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Going skiing. And so we, how many of you guys have appreciated having them here with us? I just want to remind you, there is an offering box out there in the hallway that has uh, Chris's name on it, and I just want to remind you, if you'd like to sow into his ministry and bless him, uh, please fill that thing up. If you want to make a check, make it out to NCF, and we will make sure that every bit of it goes uh, towards him. And if you happen to forget, or even right now as you're sitting down, I give you permission to get your smartphones out, and you can even give online. Um, You can give tens of thousands, quarter of a million, you know, we're, we, we accept it all. And, and online, I'm not sure. There, there may be a place where it, it has Chris Gore in the offering. But if not, somehow there may be a way that you can tag it in the memo, put Chris Gore in there, and so we can know that you're wanting to give that to him, and we will make sure that he gets all that. All right? All right. I'm not going to make any more announcements other than that. Just read the bulletin. There's some good stuff coming. We'll talk more about that later. But at this time, I'm going to go ahead and invite my brother Chris. Come on up, bro. Hey, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Is everybody good this morning? Kids are dismissed. Kids, you are dismissed. I almost forgot. Does that include me? Can I go too? <laughs> There's something powerful about being childlike. <laughs> everybody doing good this morning? Everybody have a great weekend? Who was not here for the weekend? Why not? (laughs) I'm messing with you. I had a great night last night. Who who enjoyed last night? I was was enjoying myself. For those that are not here, I'm not going to say what I preached on. Not that it was a secret, but I ended up finishing on Psalm 107 verse 20. And it says that he sent his word and he healed them. And I'm just so thankful that God backs his word, not our performance. That when you declare his word, sometimes we just have to be bold enough that when we actually declare his word, that we've got the trust and the faith that he's going to back us up. And uh, so last night we, we just kind of finished off just calling out certain words of physical conditions and we just saw God back his word. And things were just miraculously happening as a... The man whose warts fell off. I mean, I got to see them. I went out the back and he opened up the plasters and showed me. That's why my last name's Gore. I just love that stuff. Maybe I should have been a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, so I want to thank you for I want to thank you for having me again and um 
It's the last uh, last session, and uh, before I head off for some ministry for myself at the mountain this afternoon, and uh, but it's been a one, it's been a really wonderful time, and uh, just so enjoyed being with you. And uh, the team are going to be staying here until tomorrow. They're heading off tomorrow, but uh, there's three of us are heading out this afternoon, and and then back to California on uh, on Wednesday. I wanted to um, I wanted to share with you this morning a. I wanted to share with you a story, and um, and I got, I think I know what I'm going to preach. I've got a few thoughts on there, so we'll just see what comes out. My greatest passion in the body of Christ is to see Christians stay in faith. It's to see Christians know how to stay full of God. I really don't believe that we should be going from one touch of God for the next. You know, we have a touch of God, and we hit a highlight, and then we kind of like, drift off until, you know, we have another touch of God and we go up again. I want to go from glory to glory. I just want to keep on going up. And what I see is I see the Christians that don't know how to retain fullness in their lives. They don't know how to walk in that fullness of God. And uh, last summer, California was in the, in the midst of a terrible drought. I mean, it's, I think they say we're 40%. No, we've had a lot of rain. It's rained 10 days straight now and things like that. We had a lot of rain. It's we're still, we're 40% out of drought, but we're still in drought. The dams still need to be full and things like that. So right in the midst of the worst, da- the worst uh, drought that I think California has known, I got, this, I got this really cool swimming pool. And uh, my swimming pool is filled with bottled water. It has no chemicals in it. It has no salt in it. It's, it's literally, it's probably more pure than that. You can swim in it. You don't get sore eyes. and it's, uh, it's, it's called copper oxidizing. It's what they use in space on the NASA spacecraft to keep the water purified in space. And I got that in my pool. And the water goes through it, and it just pumps bottled water in. You could, just, you could put your glass in and just drink it. Apart from I wouldn't want it because my dog drinks out of it too. <laughs> There's probably a few slobbers in there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when I, I have this pool filter... And my pool filter, it's, uh, I don't need to dismantle it to hose the filters out because it's actually full of glass. It's full of broken glass. It's, quite, it's big and it's just full of smashed up glass. So when I need to backwash my filter, I just go out and I just turn this handle to backwash and I just turn it on for two minutes and it, all the water backwashes through the pool, through the glass and pushes it onto the lawn two minutes and then I flick it back to normal mode and we're done. So I do that twice a year, and my pool is clean. It's, my filter's clean. Well, one night I went out there, and I, it was one late afternoon, and it was time to backwash my pool, and I put it into the backwash mode and turned the filter on for two minutes to backwash the filter and spew you know, some gallons of water. I don't want to waste too much water because we're in the middle of a drought, so I spew a little bit of water onto my lawn just to backwash the filter, and then I turn off the filter and I go to bed. See, I forgot to put it back into normal mode. At 10 o'clock at night, the filter comes on and it runs from 10 at night until 6 in the morning. So I go out at 6 in the morning and my pool is, three, um, my pool is over halfway empty. And I spew 25,000 gallons of water onto my neighbor's lawn in the midst of the drought. Now, my, my swimming pool is not designed to be empty. My swimming pool must be full. It must be full at all times because if the pool is actually empty, 
the pool operates best at fullness because if it's empty, the sides of the pool can implode. It can just fall in because it's the pressure of the fullness that keeps it operating at its best. And I went outside and I'm like, what the heck's happened? Like, was there an earthquake in the night and it's cracked the bottom of the pool? My water's gone. You know, I mean, I just have this empty pool with a bit of water in the bottom. And I'm like, what the heck's happened? And it took me about five minutes to realize that I just forgot to put the filter back into normal mode. So when the, when the motor came on, it just pumped the water out. All I, I, didn't, I couldn't face my neighbor for a couple of weeks. I'm like, <laughs> finally, I went over and I said, hey, I'm really sorry about the other week, about the water on your, on your lawn. And he's like, what, what water on my lawn? He didn't even notice. I mean, uh, California's so dry that I think it just soaked into his lawn. He's probably just thankful he got a nice green lawn in the middle of summer. But as I'm standing outside trying to work out what had gone wrong, and as soon as I realized what had gone wrong, the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, that's just like your life. Your life is designed to operate at fullness. Your life is designed to be full and you will operate best when you continuously stay full of God as opposed to going from one touch to the other. And it is absolutely my heart to see Christians just want us that would learn to live in the fullness of God, that we're not running with a half-empty pool waiting for another touch of God to fill us up, but we, we learn to stay full of the pure, fresh, clean water of God, that we just live in that place of overflow. See, I want to speak to you this morning about learning to stay in faith, because I believe it's one of the greatest messages or one of the greatest uh, things as believers we actually need to learn to do is how to stay full of God and how to stay in that place of fullness. I wrote a, I wrote a book that's out there and, and there's some special pricing. See Benji in some special pricing out there for local church. I think for all three books, retailers like $57 or something. I think he's offering $37 or something. It's, just go see Benji. But there's a book out there called uh, called Overflow. It's my latest book. It's just come out, and that story of my swimming pool is is in that pool. Uh, I'm sorry, in the, in the pool. The story is in the book of of um, of about the swimming pool. About and but there's a whole lot of there's 52 stories in there of how we can stay full and in the overflowing presence of Jesus, because that's what I burn for. Because it's full people that actually change the world. It's people that know how to stay full of God are the ones that are shaking, shaking the earth and shaking their environment around them because they're just full of God. So what would it look like as, as believers we all learn to stay in faith and we all were just full because it's in that fullness that we're actually operating at our best? See, the greatest priority of my life is learning to stay full despite the circumstances of life that I go through. I want to share six points with you that I feel like the Lord's given me over the last uh, over the last several several years of of how I've stayed full of God. A number of years ago, um, when we were looking at moving to the United States, which is probably about thirteen years ago, I as uh, we we were it was a big mission for me to move countries. And as some of you know, I've got a disabled daughter. And, uh, and so it was a big mission for her to know how to get her onto a plane and all that kind of stuff. And, and everything was looking, we got socialized medicine in New Zealand, just like everything's paid for, you know, like everything. I don't have to pay one cent for medical. 
And uh, so every so it was a big step of faith stepping into something that's not socialized medicine. That's actually quite the opposite, <laughs> very much so the opposite. Like a trip to ER, forty-five minutes just a couple of months ago cost me ten thousand dollars. Just completely the opposite. And um, so it got to the point where it just became so complex of how the heck are we going to get her there that one night I kind of gave up on and I thought, we just can't go. This is just too hard. And I went to bed that night and in the night I had a dream that I was parachuting. I, I had parachuted before, and, but in the dream I was parachuting. And my daughter goes flying, flying past me in the parachute. So I go out first and she goes out second, which is not normal. Normally it's the heavier one that goes out last. <laughs> And uh, but I'm I'm flying through the air, and my daughter comes flying past me, and she shouts out, "Dad, I forgot my shoot!" And I said, "Don't worry, I'll get you." And I went into a free fall dive, and I'm I'm diving through the air in a you know in a in a dive, as opposed to an uncontrolled fall, and to catch up to her, and I caught up to her, and I grabbed her, and I said, "I've got you." I said, now I want you to put your hands around my neck and I want you to put your legs around my waist and you're going to hold on as tight as you possibly can. And I said, are you holding on? She said, yes. And I said, great, hold on tight and enjoy the ride. And the Lord spoke to me audibly in my dream and he said, that's exactly what I want you to do with me in this next season is you're going to hold on tight and enjoy the ride I'm about to take you on. And I woke up in the morning knowing that we're going to America. I just, like, I just knew that despite the circumstances, I'd allowed the circumstances to overwhelm me as opposed to looking to God, the God of the impossible, that can, that can change anything. And everything changed that day. And I remember my daughter sits in a, and she has a car seat in the car. She had, at that time, she had a special car seat in the car. I remember calling the airline and saying, I mean, I just knew I was going. And I called the airline and said, and they said, I told them the circumstance, and they're like, I'm sorry, we can't take her on an airline. She's, she's not going to be able to fly with us. And I'm like, no, nope, that's not what the dream said. I didn't tell him that. I just internally in myself, I'm like, no, I know, I know we're going. It's just, there's just a way that needs to be made. And just as I go to hang up, he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. He said, we do actually have one car seat only that's approved in the use of our airline for children. And this is what it's called. It's called the Columbian 2000. And I said, sir, can you just hold the line for one second? And I ran out to the car and I ripped your car seat out and looked at the back and it said, Columbian 2000. And it's like, I mean, and all these impossible circumstances just, there's, we had 40, 47 impossible, I think it was 46 or 47 impossible steps that we had to get through to come. And every single one of them started, started folding. See, we have to learn to hold on tight to every single bit of encouragement that comes our way. And many of us don't know how to hold on tight to encouragement. And I spoke yesterday about the importance of stewarding things in our lives like, you know, like prophetic dreams and, you know, dreams and words, words that are given to us and prophetic words and all that kind of stuff of learning to hold on so tight to those things that we would never let go. And we've been on this incredible journey as a, as a family uh, for over for over twenty one years <clears throat> and and i, I don 't want to labor on this too much, but those that are here yesterday, my daughter is twenty one and she needed um, she needed medical uh, intervention to survive at birth 
and the compli- complications that have continued to, to go with that, I will just say this is that our circumstances don't dictate the nature of God. He's, he's still a healing God. He's still a good God. He's still the best father that we could, that we could ever have. So I've been on this absolute journey of, of learning to hold on to every bit of encouragement that I can get because my greatest thing I have to do in life, and I believe it's what we have to do in life, is stay in faith, is to stay in faith despite the circumstances, is to hold on tight and enjoy the ride that God's taking us on. I had some, I've had some profound encounters with the Lord over the, over the years, and and it's only in the last several months that I began to share some of these because the Bible says to don't cast your pearl before the swine. And I'm just thankful that I don't have swine here this morning. And so I, I feel comfortable in sharing some of these encounters I've had with the Lord because what I did do is I began to share them and people would begin to, you know, like poo-poo you and it's like, oh, yeah, whatever, you had too much cheese, you know, in your dream and so I, I just didn't share any encounters with the Lord because they were just divine encouragement for me of these dreams that I had that I just held on so tightly to. See, one night I went through this season where every second Saturday night I had a God encounter in my dream. It was so profound every second Saturday night that every second Saturday night I went to bed at 8 o'clock. I mean, I just knew it was coming. I knew that God was going to visit me in my dream. And he visited me personally. He spoke to me personally in my dream every second Saturday night for about six weeks. And, and one night, it was, it was actually at Christmas time, and I went to see my, my father who lives about 500 miles away. And uh, we, we were visiting him for Christmas and go to bed on the Saturday night. And in the night... <clears throat> I'm, you know, and just in this process of continuing to believe God for the, the healing for my daughter is that in the night, so I'm fast asleep and I have a dream. And in the dream, I'm in a church and the church is, has uh, rows of chairs and they're staggered. So, you know, the one chair pokes out over the next, you know, kind of like this, but they're a little, little bit more staggered than this. And I'm sitting in the chair on the second row on the, on the end, and the minister walks down from the pulpit and he begins to walk towards me. And as he, gets, as he starts to walk towards me, the chair that I'm sitting on is slain in the spirit. I mean, the, cha- the chair just, it goes over. And I'm, I'm laying on the ground and I said to myself in the dream, wow, that is the most powerful thing I've ever felt. And on that I woke up. And I woke up, and my, I didn't wake my wife up. She was beside me snoring nicely. I woke up, and I was shaking in the bed. I was just absolutely trembling like crazy in the bed. I was just shaking like a leaf. And I could actually feel Jesus in the room. It was so real, I actually thought he was in the room. And I got out of bed, and I walked around the room, I looked behind the door, I looked under the bed. I mean, I was looking around the room because I, how many of you know Jesus doesn't hide from us, he hides for us. So I think he's hiding here for me to find him. And I'm walking around, I actually believed I was going to walk into the physical Jesus, the presence of God in that room. I was just, just shaking, shaking, walking around the room, trying to find, find Jesus. I couldn't find him physically, but I could feel him physically. 
So I, I lay back down on the bed. I lay down on the bed and I thought, oh my Lord, that was the most powerful thing I've ever encountered. And on that, I immediately dropped asleep and I go straight back into the dream where I came out of. Now, I'd never gone back into the same dream exactly. I've never gone back into a dream ever, let alone back into where I came out of. And where I came out of the dream was lying on the ground saying to myself, that is the most powerful thing I've ever, ever felt, thinking to myself. And the man looks over the top of me and he goes, and if you think that's powerful, watch this. And I, he read my thoughts and he said, come with me. And he pulls me up and he walks me across the other side of the room where my daughter is in a wheelchair. And he says to me, he says, um, he says, take your straps off. He has straps on her ankles and her waist and a chest holder. And he goes, take your straps off. And I began to unbuckle them, unbuckle them all. And he says, little girl, in the name of Jesus, I say to you, arise. And he starts to pull her up. And I said, sir, sir, watch your ankles, they're weak. Great man of faith. <laughs> watch your ankles, they're weak. And he goes, you watch your ankles. And from the bottom of her ankles to the top of her feet, her body goes. <laughs> she straightened into a whole person and she looks at me. She's nonverbal. She can say papa, mama, that's it. She looks at me and she goes, daddy, can't catch me. And she takes off. <laughs> and I ran across the church and I tackled her and I threw her to the ground and I hugged her and I said, Charlotte, you can't catch me. And I took off and she ran after me. See, they're the kind of things that I have to hold on to of hope, of dreams that I will not let people quash in my life. I will not, let, I will not listen to someone who wants to try and quash that dream. And that's, what, that's the kind of thing that we have to do. See, I've had to learn to hold on to everything I possibly can to stay in faith in my life. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it talks in there about fighting the good fight of faith. I've had to learn to fight the good fight of faith, and we're all in a fight. We're all in a fight, and the fight is actually to stay in faith. In the Greek word, I did some study on this, and the Greek word good for the good fight of faith is actually the word kalos, which actually means beautiful or handsome. So what's this, what it's actually saying is that we need to fight the beautiful or the handsome fight of faith. See, what I've discovered is that we don't actually fight by fighting. I spent many years fighting the fight of faith. Come on, devil. I'm going to take you on. It's like that just wears me out. I have no interest in fighting with the devil. But yet the scripture tells us that we need to fight the good fight of faith. See, the way that I've learned that we fight the good fight of faith is that we actually fight by feasting on God. You guys with me? In Psalm 23, it says this. Well, have you actually noticed that it doesn't say, in the absence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. It actually says, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. See, it doesn't say in the absence of my enemies. 
I have enemies all around me. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about cancer. I'm talking about disabilities. I'm talking about sickness. I'm talking about deaf ears. The, the enemies are all around me, but I don't, I'm not going to be drawn into the battle because the enemy wants to draw me into the battle. The only place I want to be is feasting at the table of my God. In the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. See, the enemy wants to draw you into a battle, and that battle is to wear you out. God has got an invitation for us that he has a table of lamb chops prepared before us, and we can come and feast from that table because it's at that place of feeding from the table of the Lord that I actually get fed See, many of us want to fight over here. I fight and we learn to fight by, I don't fight by fighting, I fight by feasting. And the number one priority in my life is to make sure that I'm eating. I'm obviously not talking about physical food, though that is a priority in my life. (laughs) I'm talking about feasting from the banquet table of the Lord, that I learn to feast from God. I feast on his word, that I keep myself full, that my swimming pool is full because it's in that place of fullness that I'm operating at my best. See, God is saying to us today that when there's a battle, your only fight is to stay in faith. And the only way that you'll stay in faith is by feasting from the banquet table of the Lord and pondering and feasting on his promises of the words that he's spoken over you and holding on to the dreams and the encounters and the visions and the prophetic words. And that's how I feast. I've got them all written down and I'm constantly feasting on, feasting on different words. See, our fight is to remain in faith. In other words, when the battle is there, you feed. When sickness is there, you feed. And while you're walking through financial issues, you feed. While the addiction is still there, you learn to feed from the banquet table of the Lord. See, if we could just learn to eat from the banquet table of the Lord in Psalm 23, we'd actually have strong, encouraged Christians. And that's how I stay encouraged every day of my life, as I feast on God and what God has done and what God is doing. And I feast on the banquet table of the Lord. I'm not going to succumb to the battle that's raging over here. Because I find many Christians over here that just want to fight And they're actually all they are, the ones that get beaten, bruised, tired, and worn out. Man, I just, I see, I fight by feeding. The more I feed, it's just like stuff over here just happens because the Bible says that God is fighting before me on my behalf. The enemy wants to draw us. I am not going to be drawn. I tell you, if you are drawn into the battle, You will end up worn out. You'll end up tired. You'll end up exhausted and you'll end up out of faith. It's not that I don't fight, but I don't fight by fighting. I fight by feasting. I just want to eat and eat and eat. I'm going to prepare my fork and have me another lamb chop. Cook me another chicken. Amen. The Bible says, see, often... 
The battle is only won when we can learn to come to complete rest. It's out of a restful heart that we actually win the battle. It's not by our, it's not by our striving. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that when you've done all you know how to do, stand. And in my life, there, there are some circumstances that I, particularly with my daughter, where I have done everything I know how to do. I have fasted, I have prayed, I fought the battle, I fought the enemy, I had demonic encounters with the enemy. It's like I've done everything I know how to do. But my greatest priority is feast. I learned that I need to learn how to feast and just stay at the table. I am not going to be drawn. If I am drawn by the enemy, I'm actually dictated to by the enemy's agenda. I am not dictated to by the enemy's agenda. I am dictated to by God's agenda. Get me another rotisserie chicken. I'm going to have another feast. When you've done all you know how to do, stand. Well, it's interesting that when you look at the word Stand, in the Greek, it actually means abide. When you've done everything you know how to do to get out of the circumstance you're in, then just abide. See, it's sometimes we need to learn to rest, and it's in that place of complete rest that we, actually, we will actually see the deliverance of the Lord and the breakthrough. I want to just share a couple of points and of just encouragement points of different things that God has shown me through His Scripture and I touched on this one yesterday, is that we need to find our contentment in Jesus. Our contentment is not because you get the miracle or because you don't get the miracle. My contentment is is because I've got Jesus. And my contentment used to be, if I get the miracle, when I get the miracle, then I'm going to be so happy and things are going to be so different. Yes, they will be different, but that's not what my contentment is. My contentment's not in when I win the battle. My contentment is, is because I'm having a grand old feast over here. I've got Jesus and I've got lots of food and I'm just going to eat from the banquet table. And now I'm content, not because I've got my breakthrough. I'm content because I've got Jesus. And I find so many Christians so so disgruntled. It's like they're broke, they're sick. And it's just like, when I get this, when I get this, I'll be happy. When I get this, I'll be victorious. No, you won't be victorious when you get that. You will be victorious when you recognize that you have Jesus right here and right now. It says, the second point I wanted to touch on is that I allow adversity to feed me. It's like people say to me all the time, well, pastor, you know, like you've seen miracles all the time. It's easy for you to stay encouraged. It's like, well, really? Yes, I do see miracles all the time. But I can assure you that we added everyone together here for all the miracles you don't see. I probably see that amount daily of what I don't see. I'm seeing just as many people not healed as what I am healed. And say, well, you know... People think that I see a miracle and it's like fuel on my fire. And when I don't see a miracle, it's like water on my fire. No, no, no. I've learned to allow the adversity of life to feed me. When I see a miracle, it's like gasoline on my fire. And when I don't see a miracle, it's like gasoline on my fire. 
because I'm learning to feast from the banquet table of the of God and I want adversity and I allow adversity to feed me regardless of what I'm going through. I'm content and when the enemy comes and he creeps through and something happens, it's like, well, I'm still encouraged. Just give me another chop. He will not discourage me. The battle will not discourage me because the battle is the Lord's. Our job is to eat. It's to stay at that banquet table and eat, eat, eat. That we become so full that we cannot help but things happen around us because we're filled with the presence of the Lord. There's a story in, of, of Joshua and Caleb, one of my favorite stories, and it says that the the, uh, in the story of the children of Israel, the 12 spies were sent out to, to spy out the promised land that God had given them. See, this wasn't God's idea, it was their idea. So they sent out 12 spies. The Bible tells us that after 40 days of spying out the land, they came back. And 10 of them said, we cannot take the land. We cannot do it. The giants are too big. The walls are too thick. We can't do it. We're going to die. See, they just got drawn into the battle. See, Joshua and Caleb go in. They saw the same giants. They saw the same walls. They saw everything that the other ten saw. But they came back with a different report. And they said, we can take this land. We can. We can take it. We can take it. Let's prepare the troops. We're going to take this land. Let us go at once and take possession, for we are able to overtake it. See, the other ten spoke of stoning Joshua and Caleb. It's the same today. You start seeing fruit, the church, church wants to stone you. It's just insecurity. We as a church need to rise up that we can take this city because there's no such place as a dark place. Pastors come to me all the time, and I'm thankful that you didn't see Jay. And they're like, you don't understand our city. Our city is so dark. It's like there's no such place as a dark place once the believer shows up. Darkness is just the absence of light. That's what the dictionary says. It's the absence of light. And i got something to tell you. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he said, I am the light of the world. And when he left, he said, now you are. Do something with it. See, we are the light to take it into the dark places. See, the majority of the nation believe um, the ten spies. In verse 11, God spoke to Moses and said, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? And then Numbers 14, verse 9, it says this. Great verse. But if the Lord delights in us. Well, i got good news. He delights in you. If the Lord delights in us, only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, Listen to this, nor fear the people of the land. Do not fear the enemy, for they are our bread. Guess what? We get to eat the enemy. We get to allow adversity to feed us but you'll only learn to feed off the adversity of the enemy when you can keep the eye on the Lord. 
when you stay at the banquet table and keep on feasting that regardless of what comes your way, you're going to learn something from it and you're going to become a stronger person for learning to eat off the enemy. See, I just love to eat the enemy. When adversity comes, it's like, I'm just going to eat it and I'm going to cause it to grow me. I think the devil's just given up on me because he realizes I'm just getting fatter and fatter. Every time he attacks me, I just grow more and more. It's like, it's like oh, I think I better just leave him alone. Numbers 14, 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit in him. So you have, we have, we have that different spirit. We have the same spirit of Joshua and Caleb that we can take this land. What about this one? The third point is we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I spoke on that the first night, I think it was. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. That regardless of what you're going through, I'm not impressed by the devil. The only thing I'm impressed with is Jesus. I am not impressed with anything except Jesus and Christ and him crucified and what he's done and what he's doing. That's my priority. Sitting at the banquet table, lamb in my mouth and eyes on Jesus. Just being lost in Jesus of what what Jesus is doing. See, a great battle came between Jehoshaphat and the people of Moab. And the Bible tells us that they were fully surrounded by the, uh, by the, uh, by the army. I think there were seven armies that were surrounding them, if I remember right. And it says this. And it says, and he prays. And he prays this long, windy prayer to God. You can read it in verse 12 of Second Chronicles. And he prays this long, windy prayer to God, and he's moaning away to God about how bad the situation is, and we're surrounded, and we're going to die, and you know, it's like blah blah blah. He just like just this windy prayer that I don't like. And then it says this in verse twelve, but man, I love buts in the Bible. B U T, not B T T. <laughs> it says, but this is how he finishes our prayer, the prayer, but. Our eyes are on you. And it's when he prays that our eyes are on you, the Holy Spirit came and he spoke and he said, listen to all you of Judea and the inhabitants and to you, King Jehoshaphat. The Lord says to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord's. See, sometimes we'll only see deliverance when we get our eye off our enemy and we actually get it on Jesus when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, that's how I stay encouraged every day of my life. By feasting and keeping my eyes on Jesus. And the more that I keep my eyes on him, no matter what comes my way, I can stay in that place of peace. I can stay in that place of rest of just enjoying Jesus because my contentment is in him alone. See, you don't need to fight in this battle. It says, position yourself, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat then goes to his people and he instructs them. He says, praise the beauty of his holiness. And he says to his armies, he goes, prepare the, prepare the worshipers. I mean, this is just ludicrous. He's got seven armies surrounding him and he says get the worshippers ready I'm going to put them on the front line and he says off you go march 
and sing, for your mercy endures forever. And the worshippers march into the front line, eyes on Jesus, for your mercy endures forever. And the Bible tells us that the enemy turns on each other and they kill themselves. See, that's what happens when we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what happens when we don't become impressed with the devil. We don't become impressed with the schemes of the enemy, but we just become impressed with the banquet table of the Lord that's before us and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. See, what you become impressed with is what you'll behold. I'm not going to behold the enemy. I don't want to become, I don't want to behold the enemy, so I'm not going to become impressed with the enemy. I'm just going to become impressed with Jesus because that's then who I will behold. And I will win the battle because the battle is the Lord's. The battle is mine, saith the Lord. Our job is to feast and eat, eat from the banquet table of the Lord and keep our eyes on Jesus. In Psalm 23, it goes on and it says, that, that walking through, that though you walk through the valley, valley of the shadow of death, I got something to tell you is that you may feel like you're in the shadow, shadow of the valley of death. You might feel like you're having a hard time and circumstances are against you. Well, guess what? It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. It's not actually the valley of death. It's the shadow of the valley of death. It's just a shadow. You are going to be okay. You are going to come out the other side. Just keep moving forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus and just keep moving forward. You will come out of the other side of the shadow of the valley of death. Here's my next point. Is recognize that even in the valley... He's there with you. There's a wonderful story in the book of Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 20. And the story is, the story, most of these stories are, are written in, in uh, overflow. It says, the Syrians made one of the greatest mistakes that they could ever make. The Israelites had, they'd had a fight with the Israelites on the mountaintop. And the Syrians got terribly defeated by the Israelites on the mountaintop. And the Syrian advisors came to the Syrian army and said, you know why you lost that war? You lost that war because their God is the God of the mountaintop. If you can draw them from the mountaintop into the valley, you'll win. And they're like, ah. So they draw the Israelites out of the mountaintop and they bring them down into the valley where they fight them again. And the Israelites crush them once again. See, your God, our God, is not just the God of the mountaintop. Our God is the God of the valleys. And I don't know about you, but I have mountaintop experiences. And I know that I've encountered God. But I can encounter God in the valley when everything's going wrong because he's right there with me in the valley as well. He's not just with you when everything's going right. He's actually with you when everything's going wrong. You just need to find him because he doesn't hide himself from you. He hides himself for you. And it's our job to search him out. Where is he in the valley? Because he's actually right there with you, even in the valley. See, this is how I stay encouraged every day of my life. 
is regardless of what comes, what comes at me, how it comes, whatever goes wrong, it's like God is still with me in the valley. And by the way, like I said, the valley is just a shadow of the valley of death. It's not actually death itself. You will come through it when you can recognize Jesus and you can keep your eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of faith. See, the, the fire may not necessarily be from God, but he's in the fire with you. See, the final point I want to make is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know how you say that in American. Everybody says something different, but I say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody I ask says something completely different. So I'm going to tell you how I, was, how I grew up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 21. And I love this story. It says that they just refused to bow and worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king orders them to be bound. He says, if you will not bow to me, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And he instructs the, the keeper of the fire, the furnace, to heat that thing up seven times hotter than what it's ever been. And they heat the furnace to seven times hotter. And they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible tells us that they bind them. They bind them up. And the Bible tells us that when they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the fire to throw them in, that the guards that threw them in were dead. That's how hot it was. The guards themselves die. And they throw the three of them in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they throw them in the fire. And the king comes and looks in the fire and he finds a fourth man in there. Well, hello, there's Jesus right there. And they're in there and they're dancing around and they're having a good old party. Pretty relaxed in the fire. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar is like totally confused. And he says, bring the man out. And he brings them out. The Bible tells us that the only thing that was burnt, it says that their clothes didn't even stink of smoke. The only thing that was burnt on them is the bondages that they were bound with. See, when we can learn to keep our eyes on Jesus, and you may feel like that you're in the fire, but when you are in the fire, sometimes we will only get breakthrough in the fire when we can learn to put our feet up in the fire and eat from the banquet table of the Lord. And when we can learn to rest in the fire that we've been feel like we're being burnt in, the only things that will actually get burnt off you are the shackles that hold you back from your destiny of coming into everything that God called you into be. See, if you're going to sit in the fire and complain and grumble and carry on, it's like you probably will either get burnt or you'll come out stinking like burnt flesh. And the, I live in the fire. Trust me, i got so many fires going around me and I have just learned that the best thing I can do when I'm in the fire is just relax. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to just take that lamb off the, off the banquet table of the Lord and poke it in the fire so I can have me some barbecued lamb. 
and I'm going to cook that lamb, and I'm going to cook my steak, and I'm just going to keep my feet up, and I'm just going to relax, and I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus, because I know that in the fire, I am being refined. The fire is not from God, but the fires come, and when the fires come, I learn to relax and rejoice in the fire, because I want to see my breakthrough, and the only things that get burnt off me in the fire are the chains that hold me back from my destiny. See, I want to see a victorious church arise. I want to see Christians that know how to stay in that place of faith. I want to see Christians that just know how to stay full of Jesus every day. I don't want to go to a church and do a conference and we have a little spiritual high and you come back 12 months later and the church is dead again. I want to see victorious Christians. Jesus says that he's coming back for a victorious bride. I tell you, I, this, may, this may be a shock for some of you, but I'm not waiting for Jesus to come back. Some of us are walking around and it's like, oh my word, the world's in a mess. Jesus, please come back and save us. Jesus, come and save us. No, no, no. God's not in control. You are. He said he's coming back for a victorious bride. He's not coming back until the church learns to arise and shine. That when we become victorious, it'll be in the place of us staying in faith and learning to feast ourselves in the fire rather than being depressed and discouraged around the circumstances that we begin to live victorious and we begin to change our city and we begin to change our nation and our families and our churches. Amen? I just want to see a victorious church. I just long to see victorious people. I long to see people that know how to stay full of Jesus. I long to see people that know how to fix their eyes on Jesus. I long to see people that are not going to get impressed with the problem and the schemes of the enemy, but they'll be impressed with Jesus. I long to see people that are not going to be drawn into the battle because it's those ones that are exhausted, tired, and sick. I'm not going to be drawn into the battle. I'm just going to feast. I'm going to rest in the fire. I'm going to hold on to hope. And I'm going to hold on to every promise that God has ever given to me. Every dream that he has ever spoken into my life. Every prophetic word. Every bit of encouragement I hold on to. October and October 2015, we had a, we had a prophet at our church for a conference. And I was, actually, I was actually leading service at another campus, and we were on a live stream, but it's about uh, seven minutes behind. And the prophet stands up, and he says, he said, uh, <clears throat> there's someone here called Charlotte. Where are you? And no one responds. And he says, birth date, October 7th is your birth date. Where are you? And no one responds. And now I'm not seeing this because I'm seven minutes behind. And so at about, at a, but then I looked down at my phone, which is obviously live, you know, my phone's on, and I looked down at my phone and the thing lit up with like 20 texts, like from all different people, like, you've been prophesied over, he's calling you out, he's calling out your daughter. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know what's happening because I can't see it because I'm seven minutes behind. 
And then the stream the kicks in live and I get to see it. You know, I'm now live, seven minutes behind, but, but live. And no one responds to the word. And someone stands up and says, my name is Sean and I was born in October. And he goes, it's close, but it's not for you. He said, this is a word very specifically for a Charlotte born 7th of October. And I'm sitting in my chair like, <laughs> I mean, he can't see me, but I'm like, and, and the kids, the, one of the kids' church workers stands up and goes, that's Charlotte Gore. She just had her birthday this week. This is like the 9th of September. She just had her birthday like two days ago on the 7th. And he goes, the word's for her. And he goes, I don't know, who is she? And someone said, oh, that's Chris Gore's daughter. And he goes, I know of Chris Gore, but I don't know that I've ever met Chris Gore. And he says, and I don't, I don't know the circumstances, but the Lord is bringing healing. And she is going to be totally and completely restored. And the place just went crazy. I mean, the place went so crazy that I actually missed the prophetic word because they were just screaming and hollering. And so I'm at the other campus and the people are screaming and I couldn't, I didn't get the word until the next day when Bethel Media cut it out and sent it to me and I was able to actually hear the word. See, they are the kind of words that I need to hold on to. And they're the words historically that I haven't shared publicly, but that was a very public word. I mean, it was on Bethel TV. It went out for kind of viral. It had thousands of shares and what have you. And because I and I put it on my Facebook because he said that God is in the business of tying up loose ends. And he said it's not like kids like he's. I'm not saying that Charlotte is a loose end, but what I'm saying is there's long outstanding issues in the body where we haven't seen breakthrough, and we're in a season where we're going to begin to see great breakthroughs of long outstanding conditions. See, it was 12 months to the day within a couple of days, which is now last year, October, just gone. And I got invited to lunch with a friend who had a prophet from Zimbabwe with him. And I sit down with the prophet. He, I, I, I know his first name. Well, I didn't actually. I was calling him by his last name. <laughs> I got it muddled up, isn't it? His first name was William, and his last name was Undi, and I was calling him Undi. <laughs> and he, he knows my first name. He doesn't know anything about me. By the way, the other prophet got my dog's name as well. He said that she's got a little dog. I see a little dog called Maverick. It's like, you got my dog's name? My dog's known in heaven. I don't know about animals going to heaven, but yours might not be, but mine's going. <laughs> My maverick's going to be in heaven. <clears throat> I'm not so convinced about cats, but. <laughs> but my maverick will be in heaven. You're going to get, he's famous in heaven. One day you're going to get to meet my maverick. So I'm sitting there with this prophet at lunch and he stops and he pushes his fork and knife away and he looks at me and he goes in this broad Zimbabwean accent and he says I'm sorry to bring this up at lunch he says but who is Charlotte and I said that's my daughter 
7th of October she was born, wasn't she? And I said, mm-hmm. And he says this. I could play you the recording. I got it on my phone. I'm like, if you're going to prophesy, I'm going to record it. Start again. And he says, I don't know what you believe in the Lord in. But the Lord says that you've been patient and you've learned to rest. And there's a miracle that's about to take place in your life, in your family, that's going to shake the whole world. He said it's going to shake the whole world. You know what? I don't know that I've ever... I actually feel to play it. I've played it to individuals before, but I don't know that I've ever, I've never played it. I've never played it publicly. He said it's going to shake the, the wall world. This is the accent, the wall world. 16 times he says it's going to shake the wall world. And then at the end, I'll cut it off at the end, but he says, I get the word, he, he, like he doesn't know how to say some of the English words, and he says, I get the word, Oh, Orara, Orara, Orara. What is that? And I'm like, that's my in-laws. They live in Orewa, which is a little town outside of Auckland in New Zealand that no one would ever know of. And it was just like, he didn't give a word for them, but it was just like a validation of what God is saying that it was from the Lord. And I want you to listen to this because I want you to be encouraged that God cares for you. And that God knows every detail about you. Father, we, we thank you for that miracle. That's... I'm sorry, that was the end. Okay. Yeah, um, I just came as we're just sharing now. It's not intentional or anything. It just came. It just came. Um, uh, I, I, I saw, I saw, it's like a... The waiter just comes. Yes, of Is she born like October? Mm-hmm. October 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw like a... I saw, I saw God just doing amazing miracle. That's gonna, that's gonna shake the whole world. The whole world. Because a miracle is something that is above what we're thinking. So I saw a miracle. I don't know what is what the miracle you're trusting God for, but it's, I saw Charlotte and I saw a miracle, and um, when I saw a miracle, that's gonna shake the whole world, the whole world, the whole world. Not just not just uh, uh, writing only. The whole world, the whole world, the whole world. I just saw the whole. I don't, don't know what miracle you're trusting God for, but I just saw a miracle like a whole world, the whole world. All well shaken. And God just showing his power through that miracle. And God saying you've been patient, you've been you you never cease trusting him in everything. It's gonna show you a miracle that is gonna shake the whole world. The whole world, the whole world, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Are you from local? No. Alright. Alright. I was from Yeah. Yeah. Who's from there? Uh, I just saw in the 
whatever, I don't know where it is. My in-laws, my in-laws live in a real... We'll close it off there. So. I, I feel like I, I've never played that publicly. While the other word's very public, if you go back to my wall on October 2015, you'll see it there. It's a, like a seven-minute word, and it's just such encouragement for the body. I put it on my wall because I wanted, it wasn't just about me. It was about what I believe that God wants to do in the world, that he's going to tie up loose ends for long, outstanding conditions that we haven't seen breakthrough, that we're in a new day. See, sometimes we can only get that breakthrough when we can learn to rest in the fire. See, what would it look like if we became a church of rest? It doesn't mean a church of inactivity. I'll just make sure I say that. It doesn't mean a lazy church. It means an active church, but we're so active, busy eating from the banquet table of the Lord, and we've so got our eyes on Jesus that the city starts getting transformed because we're actually operating out of fullness. That our swimming pools are filled up. They're so full to overflow. Mine's actually overflowing at the moment. It's like we had so much rain. It's just, I got, we got wood drowning in water right now. It's just water everywhere. What a way to live. So here's what I want us to do. I, wanna, I would just want to minister to some specific people this morning. And as a body, we're going to minister. Is there anybody that like this book that can't afford it? I've had that lady right there with the glasses. You can have this one here, my friend. This is Walking in Supernatural Healing Power. Do you have that one? You can have that one. And give this one to the lady back there with the lovely lady with the young lady there with the gray hair and the glasses. Yes, that young lady. We're going to minister to some people. I so long, I just, my heart burns to see Christians that will stay full of God. So we're going to minister to a group of people, and this is, what, this is how we're going to do it. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you are, you feel worn out, beaten up, and exhausted. I want you to stand. I also want you to stand if you are here and you have you have a long term <clears throat> a long term incurable disease or condition. So when I say that it's you may not be terminal, but it's something that the doctor cannot fix. But you may be terminal as well. I want you to stand. <clears throat> All right. We're a body. And in the kingdom, the body ministers to the body. I want you to raise your hand. Everyone that's standing, raise your hand. Just one hand. And I, I want the body to begin, I want everybody that's seated, that knows Jesus, to get out of your seat, and I want you to go and begin to gather around this body. 
doesn't matter if there's a few people on one person. Just begin to gather around. Everyone, just make sure everybody's got some people around them. Just keep your hand up until help comes. When help comes, you can pull your hand down. I need everybody. I need everybody involved, please. I've got a, a gentleman at the very back on my left. <clears throat> We've got some uh, those hands at my at the back. Are they covered? Okay. okay. Wave wave out if you don't have somebody yet. Got a lady right here in the middle, or someone right smack in the middle here. <clears throat> Okay, here's the first thing you're going to do is that you're going to put their hand on, put just one in the team, put their hand on their shoulder. And you're going to turn that pull filter out of backwash back into normal mode. That it's going to start, it wouldn't stop washing out, but it'll start filling up. That no more water's going to be lost, it's just going to fill up. Just like a prophetic act, just turn the handle back to normal. All right, now I want you to begin as. As a group, I want you to begin to pray for them and I want you to begin to fill them back up with the presence of God. I want you to begin to declare life. I want you to begin to speak life. I want you to begin to speak promises over their life, make prophetic declarations over their life. Just begin to fill them back up with the promises and the goodness of a loving Father. Go for it. Begin to prophesy over them that today is a new day, that everything changes from today. Prophesy to them that the banquet table is available. Start feasting. If it's long-term conditions, speak life. Pray the answer. Don't pray the problem. Pray the answer into them. Speak life. Just keep declaring life over them. Fill them up. Just pray. Just begin to release the presence of Jesus into them. Just say, Jesus, fill them up with your touch. Fill them with your goodness. Fill them, Father. We fill them with hope this morning. That we'd be the most encouraged people in the in Oklahoma.
All right. I want you to begin to wrap up your prayers. I want you to give them a big sandwich hug. Just squeeze them in the middle and give them a hug. Give everyone, a, everyone you're praying for, give them a big hug. Squeeze them. Love on them. Spread the love. All right, you can just take your seats for one more minute. I've just got one more thing to do. Can I, can I ask the ministry team to come? My team, the um, local church team, the local church ministry team, if you can come. Local church team, Stillwater team, if you can come. Just got one more thing to do before I hand back over. <clears throat> I have absolutely no idea how anybody could take this journey in life without knowing Jesus. What we're talking about this morning is actually knowing Jesus because without him, I'd be a mental mess. He has been my sustainer. He is my provider. He is my restorer. He is life to me. He is everything. He is hope. He is grace. He is faith. He is love. He is perseverance. He is absolutely everything to me. And we can't actually make this journey successfully because it's not about trying to tread through and just be strong. It's about relying and depending upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. And I, I don't know the spiritual state of everybody in here this morning, but I ask you this. If you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you might know about him. You might have been raised in church that doesn't make you a Christian. I'm talking about knowing him the way I'm talking about him this morning, that he is everything to you. He is life. He is sustenance. He is my, he is my sustainment. He is everything to me. If that is you and you know that you don't know Jesus as your savior, I don't know how you normally do it here, pastor, but this is how I do it. I want every eye open and I want every head up and I want everybody looking around. I'm sorry, I just don't do the eyebrow thing and let's not, let's not peek. It's like, Jesus didn't hang on the cross and say, don't look at me. He hung on a cross absolutely naked for you, stripped, had his guts ripped out publicly for you. So this is going to be a public declaration of what you're going to stand for before him. I promise you he will come into your life and he will change you and he will turn your life around and he will fill you with a hope and he will fill you with a promise and this will be a new day. Is there anybody here that say, I need to know Jesus? Would you just put your hand up right now? Anybody? Quick, quick, quick. Just put it straight up. I'm not going to prolong it. Put your hand up right now. I've got to give this invitation. Anybody here, you know you need to ask Jesus into your life. Everybody here know Jesus? Does everybody here know Jesus? You, ma'am, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? 
anybody else. Thank you for your boldness. Tell you, when we just acknowledge him publicly, he acknowledges us publicly. Anybody else? All right, here's what we're going to do. Let's stand together. Can I ask you to do something really bold for me? Your friend will come with you, all right? We're not going to, this is family. Okay, we're not, we're not like, oh, look at it. We're going to clap and we're going to celebrate because the Bible says that when one gives their life to Jesus, one, it says the angels in heaven celebrate. All right? So would you, would you come up? Would you come? Bring her up. Bring her up. All right, I'm going to pass it back. I just love seeing people give their lives to Jesus. Man, it just messes me up. It's like, so the whole weekend was just worth one, seeing one, if I saw no other miracles, seeing one person give their life to Jesus was worth coming here for. I mean, that's the, it's the greatest miracle of all. Come on, let's give Jesus a... Let's welcome her to the family. All right. I'm going to pass it back to Pastor CJ. Thank you for having me. If you're here this morning and you need a miracle in your body, we've got a team, fiery team here that would love to partner, not with the problem, we're going to partner with Jesus. Right, that we're going to get Jesus what he paid for. They're going, to, uh, they're going to pray over you. They're going to bless you. And we're going to go after that miracle. Okay, God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let Chris know how much we appreciate him here in Stillwater. And the team, for sure. Yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, as soon as I dismiss, I definitely want to invite you to come up. If you need a miracle, please don't leave without getting ministered to, okay? Today is the day. Today is the day you've been waiting for. So please do not leave without getting ministered to. But thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us this weekend and, and today. And I want to remind you about the offering box that's out on the hallway, on the table. It has Chris Gore's name on it. Uh, or you can give online or however you just want to bless and sow into this man. And help you. How is that? What do you... My books, I need to get rid of some. Books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's got great books out there that he didn't want to have to send back. But if, uh, great materials out there. Uh, to help encourage you in the Lord. I've read one of them. I get, I'm going to get to read the other one, uh, but very excellent book. So, so, Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're so amazing. You're so good to us, Father. And we thank you for the breakthrough that's already happened today and for the breakthrough that's going to continue to happen. It's going to happen as we come and allow you to minister to us. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Come get it.